Hello and welcome to Dark Days Radio, episode number 41. I'm, of course, your host, Mike, and tonight I'm joined by Chris. How's it going, Chris? Uh, pretty good, yeah. Um, it's very cold, we've had lots of snow here, and it's raining. And, of course, uh, just the other night, I recorded Darkling number 29, which, well, should come out after this one. So, uh, yeah, people should keep a lookout for that. How are you doing, Mike? I'm doing outstanding. Uh, we were supposed to have snow today, but uh, I haven't seen anything, so we'll see what happens later this evening. And joining us, uh, speaking of snow and rain, we have Lillian Cohen-Moore out from Seattle, I believe, correct? Yep. Very good. Well, it's great to have you on the show, and uh, Lillian is a, uh, a new Onyx Path writer uh, who worked on the convention book New World Order, which we're very thrilled to talk about. <laughs> Thank you. I am also very thrilled to talk about it. <laughs> Outstanding. And uh, hopefully joining us later will be David Hill Jr. for a more discussion mm-hmm. on the very same book. Seems the ivory tower really doesn't want him, want them, want him to appear on the show. Mm-hmm. <laughs> we'll see what happens. Yeah. Good, good. Um, so with that, let's move on over to the mailbag segment. And uh, we've got quite a bit of mail. I wonder why, Chris. Ooh, um, I don't know. <laughs> no, we've, uh, what was it, this just at the start of this week? Was it even at the start of the week? It was maybe halfway through. Um, we have the new uh, Google Plus community go live. Um, and we, of course, still have plenty of questions left after um Darker Days 40, where we uh, spoke with Dave Brookshaw. So we have still plenty of questions left over to um, ask about uh, New World Order. Um, And we have a few questions that have turned up on Facebook. And so we should give some thanks again um, to Peter Marshall for the questions that he gave us from last time. Also to Martin Crowe, Michael Parker, and to Chaz Kellner and Alan Ork. They gave us some secret frequency ideas, um, one of which is very cool, which I need to research and see what we can make use of there. Yeah, I really like the one uh, about the mellified man. Oh, that was, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I, think we'll, I think we'll do a secret frequency on that one. Oh, yeah. <laughs> Good stuff. It's so crazy, that one. Yeah. And uh, in addition to that, uh, of course, we have our, our contest, which is ending right this instant, um, for uh, two copies of either the God Machine Anthology or uh, some other White Wolf fiction uh, of whatever choosing the uh, winners want. So we haven't actually picked the winners yet, but we'll be doing that sometime before Christmas, right? Uh, yeah, that's the plan. Very good. And we'll shoot off emails to the uh, prospective winners, announce them in Darker Days 42, and they'll uh, get their PDFs. So that's all uh, paid for by our uh, affiliate program with uh, DriveThruRPG. So like some of the uh, books we have linked on the darker-days.org uh, Podbean website, I've uh, just clicked those links. It'll take you to a book, and you'll see the little affiliate ID in the URL bar, and uh, that's how you know that you're uh, buying something that sh- supports the show. Or if they really don't want the book that's on our site and they want another one, just add our affiliate ID at the end. <laughs> yeah, yeah, absolutely. Good stuff. So I think that's it for the mailbag. And with that, let's move on over to the news segment. 
Alright, so let's talk a little bit about Darker Days news um, before we get on to the White Wolf stuff, or Onyx Path as well. Uh, mm-hmm. So, yeah, as Chris mentioned, we now have a Google Plus community, which is just Darker Days Radio on Google Plus. A great place to talk. It's already far surpassed the Posterous page. So, uh, Chris, I'm thinking we're just going to switch all the discussion to Google Plus now. Yeah, uh, including everything from Facebook as well, because, you know, the Facebook page is useful for dissemination because people obviously use Facebook. But um, I think the Google Plus community is better simply because pretty much anybody who's anybody related to gaming is on Google Plus. So, yeah, just we've got various um, the the communities broken up into different segments. There's just general discussion. uh you know, talk about that later show, talk about World of Darkness in general, uh, talk about other games because you know we play other games um, that feature in our Darkwing shows. Mm-hmm. Talk about past shows, so I think that's that's really just a placeholder because we've got a lot of obviously old shows before this community existed. Um, secret frequency, so again, ask us questions about a particular secret frequency or submit more um then there's the forgotten law segment so that's so people can discuss uh each issue of forgotten law our little fan e-zine that we put out and of course if they want to submit stuff they can talk about it there and then of course events if we um go about organizing some uh google hangout like we did for the big uh white wolf writer developer hangout madness that we did as you mentioned, Google Plus has a great community for gaming. Um, mm. It's a lot different than, say, Facebook. Uh, a lot of very active writers that you can very easily communicate with, and they're always really happy to answer your questions. So uh, definitely good stuff. And speaking of the Forgotten Lore fanzine, that's put out uh, or kind of produced and managed by our semi-autonomous group called the Rogue Council. I'm not sure if they've actually introduced themselves at this time. Um, but they've been with us for about six months now. And uh, mm-hmm. one of the leading members, of course, was uh, Adrian Stagg. And he uh, just told us this past week, as he finished up Forgotten Lore 3, that that would be his final issue. So we'd really like to thank him for all his hard work over the years. Uh, he's been podcasting for uh, actually three years now. Uh, he started off with the Mirage Arcana podcast, and he's been helping out with Darker Days uh, as long as it's been out. Good stuff. Mm-hmm. He's been on two full Darker Days episodes, number 16, talking about uh, Changing the Dreaming, and number 22, where he sat down with me and talked about uh, the Giovanni Chronicles, number one, The Last Supper, as well as a plethora of Darklings, as you've uh, been listening to recently. I'd also like to bring up that uh, Adrian holds two Darker Days awards. Uh, so he has the uh, Strangest Place to Listen to Darker Days, which was in a uh, maternity ward, as his... Uh, <laughs> third child was being born i believe and uh he also has the best attempt at darker days publicity where he went to the sydney opera house and tried to get them to play darker days radio on a loudspeaker unfortunately oh wow unfortunately it didn't work <laughs> out. so good stuff we'd really like to thank you for all of your assistance over the years adrian we really appreciate all the hard work and uh yeah good luck in the future good luck with your phd as well Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, I can't remember what he's doing a PhD in, but I completely sympathize with his uh, his workload on, at that end of things. So, yeah, it's, um, he'll be sorely missed as uh, we are rejigging things for Forgotten Law. 
so we can keep up the excellent standard that he helped establish. The final piece of Darker Days news, of course, is that uh, Mark Hope just got married. Mm-hmm. Former host of Darker Days, uh, congratulations. And uh, while I'm sure there's a lot of people raising drinks to your uh, happy future, I uh, personally know that dice are your true vice. So I'd like to <laughs> offer a roll of a D10 for your happy future. Congratulations, Mark. <laughs> yep, and that's it for Darker Days news, so let's move on to White Wolf news. Since we've uh, had the last episode come out... There's been a lot of stuff from Onyx Path. Uh, of course, mm-hmm. the God Machine Chronicle anthology is out, uh, as we kind of discussed uh, the last episode. Convention book New World Order just came out. Congratulations, Lillian. Thank you. It is very, very good. Very, very good. <laughs> it's yes. very, very good. Long time coming, and uh, yeah, it's great. Yes, and we'll be discussing that more in the... Uh, coming episode and of course we've also got uh, the silent knife just came out which is the new vampire the requiem novel yes i have um i think i read some of it back when it was serialized on the website so i haven't picked up my review copy yet because i simply have other things to read um mm-hmm. right now but i will try and get hold of that and it says in our show notes that Mummy the Curse is just a little bit closer to actually finally getting to Kickstarter. So that'll be pretty cool once it, once it finally gets there. Yeah, yeah. So I think, did Rich say he's actually, or someone's actually seen a, a first kind of like physical, physical copy to kind of like go over how well it's just been printed out and so forth? I think it's close anyway. Yeah, yeah, really they've at least close. got the first proof. Um, yeah. So I would expect the Kickstarter wouldn't be out until after Christmas and the New Year, uh, mm-hmm. simply because they probably don't want to have a Kickstarter going on through the holidays. <laughs> that would be crazy. Yeah. <laughs> cool. Oh, and uh, something that's missing from our show notes, which is uh, very interesting, I pointed this out to you, Chris, is that uh, in the most uh, the Atlanta by Night convention for. Uh, White Wolf and the guys. Okay. They had the uh, first information out for Demon the Triple Question Mark. Oh, yes, yes. They did give a bit of information about how uh, really what was it? Kind of like just the, the the idea of how these demons and, of course, angels work into uh, this kind of the mythology that they, they're building up to do with the uh, God Machine. So, um, Yes, it's, uh, yeah, I, I mean, obviously, what, what information there was was a very small amount, but it's there. So people should um, check out that um, discussion panel on YouTube. Um, Indeed. I guess we can put that in the show notes somewhere. Yeah, I'll put a link in the show notes, uh, which links directly to the correct time where Russell Bailey reveals the tantalizing secrets. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Good stuff. I think that's it for White Wolf News. And with that, let's move on to our first interview with Lillian Cohen Moore. Classic World of Darkness. Hello. <laughs> hey, Lillian. So, uh, whenever we get a new guest, uh, we always like to ask them what their geek cred is. So, how'd you get started with the hobby and uh, how have you contributed to it? I got started with the hobby in kindergarten. I had three older siblings that played D&D, and they had minis, which I thought looked awesome. Mm-hmm. I 
I knew that they were playing a game. I didn't really understand how it worked, but I nagged them and nagged them, and they said no. And then I went and nagged my mother, and the nagging voice of her children is her kryptonite. So she <laughs> made them let me come play with them for a session, which ended horribly, but I, I had already been bitten by gaming, so that was already a, a done deal that I was going to keep nagging them to play more with them. Ah. Uh, do you remember what your first character was? I was a, let's see here. I think it was an elven rogue. I assassinated everyone by the end of the game. <laughs> yeah. whoa, 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 whoa. Like player killing? It, well, you know, I was in kindergarten and my, my siblings, all of us are three years apart from each other. So they were kids too. And they weren't very keen on having their, their littlest sister playing with them. So I volunteered to take first watch and they all go to sleep. And I looked at our DM and I said, I kill them all. And while this was not <laughs> accepted as canon, he did have me do the roles. I would have killed everyone. Oh, oh God. <laughs> yeah. Wow. Um... Sibling rivalry is a, is a terrible, terrible thing. Uh, but that's the only time I've, I've TPK'd uh, fellow players. <laughs> Good I to was know. Good kindergarten. To know. Does it count? I was six. I guess I guess then it's better than it's better than any time later, that's for sure. <laughs> yes. Yeah. So when did you get into the world of darkest games? That's the I question. was twelve. Okay. Um, I was let's see here. A few years before that the World of Darkness games had started to come out and I was like, Oh man, I am all over that and my mother went, mm, well, you're not really old enough to go LARPing with your sisters, so wait a few years and I waited a few years and we moved and my uncle Damon was huge into the White Wolf games when I was a kid so he volunteered to run a game for me and my sister and her friend Aaron um, who like my sister was a, a young budding gothlet and my brother so we had a weekly Vampire the Masquerade game for a year and a half I think mm -hmm. and that was where I really got bit by White Wolf <laughs> excellent ah so, um, so as you say, so you have a uh, an elder brother and sister then that have been involved in two gaming sisters. for quite a while. Oh, sisters, sorry. Mm -hmm. yeah. yeah, okay, yeah, two sisters, oh. one brother. Okay, ah. yeah, that's kind of cool because I mean, I mean, that's obviously um, I I see that a lot with a lot of um, the hobby as it is. A lot of people get into it via elder, you know, elder siblings mm -hmm. already being involved in the hobby, um, whether it's war gaming or role play games or or anything. Um, it always surprised me how how often people, more people are actually into the hobby than you sometimes realize. So in my case, I, my elder sibling was never into that type of thing, but all my cousins had already at some point played a tabletop war game. And so it was kind of like, oh, okay. Cool. So you say so. Um. So your you said your uncle then was into the World of Darkness games quite um heavily, and you said that um I think I've read on the your blog post about the New World Order book that uh you basically said to him that the book that he showed you was the book you you would want to write a book just like that in the future, and you now finally have done. <laughs> yes. Yes. And so, um, what kind of um, where did you where was your first break into writing for um, anything gaming related then? Because of course you you already have quite a lot of writing 
related to the hobby and other kind of, I would say, geek culture type things as well. So where was the first break into kind of either writing for gaming or writing for anything else kind of related? Mm. Well, I'd say that the closest related break I've had for writing about games uh, was Geek's Mm -hmm. Dream Girl, who... She came to me, I think it was last December, and said, hey, do you want to come write a weekly column for me for 2012? And I said, yes. Uh, there was more happy profanity, um, but I, I try to keep these things clean. <laughs> <laughs> and maybe some jumping up and down as well. Uh, but that's when I started doing any kind of games journalism. The first writing for games that I've done was co-writing the Salem Fiasco playset with Logan Bonner, which took a couple of hours of very weird historical research to do. Yeah, we we were out to lunch when we were doing that, and so the poor wait staff come by and see us looking at like historic ways witches were executed, which is already sort of weird for lunch hour. Then they came back later and found us looking at historic pornography and sex toys, and that was also very awkward. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> sounds like it. Uh, yeah, uh, Fiasco was the first thing I'd ever written that was actual text of any kind for uh, for a role-playing game. And New World Order has been my, my first paid gig doing role-playing writing. Uh, cool. Yeah, yeah I've, I've played... Um, I'm trying to think which one I've played of Fiasco. Uh, it was a while ago, but it's always a good experience. And I've heard a lot of... Um, a lot of feedback uh, from other players who've... Um, so where I live, there is a local kind of gaming meetup. And I think generally I found out that a lot of people have, have who've never played tabletop RPGs, but they have been playing fiascos. That's fantastic. It is very good. <laughs> so New World Order is, is the big thing then for you. And... Um, yeah, it's, it's a, a great book. And um, Mike, do we want to go straight into that? or Sure, why not? Yeah. I always ask this with, with different books is, what was your, Lydian, what was your, um, your kind of like your main objective as a writer for yourself to achieve in writing this book? Kind of like what kind of content did you want to kind of target or what kind of feel did you want to get over with the book? Because... Obviously, a lot's changed since you know the last um, book was out. You know, iteration X book was out back in two thousand three, two thousand four, and before then, Guide to Net Technocracy was when I can't remember the date on that one, Mike. Uh, oh, conveniently, I have it right here. So I think yes. it was. <laughs> I think it was nineteen ninety nine. Let's open this bad boy up. Nineteen ninety nine. Yeah. <laughs> So yeah, um, so yeah. What was really your your main objective with writing for this book, then, Lillian? Oh well, I think the first thing. All right, before I figure out how I'm wording this, is this a clean yeah, sure. podcast? I should have asked earlier. <laughs> okay. All right. Um, I I will just sidestep that neatly. People read me on Twitter. They know about me and f bombs. Uh, my. The, the, the top of my goal list was not to screw up. I've been reading games mm. and playing games my whole life, and it is so easy to just really, really miss the mark with a game text, and I didn't want to be that guy. Uh, but secondarily to the, oh, God, I really don't want to screw this up. This is my first paid gig. 
I wanted to take all of that love I've had from Mage since probably junior high and put it to a really good use since this is the first Mage book that we've had in ages. And I, mm. I wanted my part to be good and to make people feel like waiting was really worth it. <laughs> and as for what I really wanted to, to make sure was in there, I am a horrible, horrible fan of tiny, possibly inconsequential like pieces of history. And there was all these little bits of canon that I'd been carrying around for years, and then I finally got to use them outside of running games for my friends, and it was so nice. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah, I... Oh, yeah, Lord. I have probably devoted more brain space than most people would think I should have to, to tiny details, which is why I got that job is because my brain is full of tiny details <laughs> good stuff so uh for the listeners like which parts of the uh book did you write let's see here dr sophia pascal's uh history of the new world order essay uh that's mine the new world order sort of myths and legends of so room 101 and all that was also mine and i did the the major npcs so um uh smoke and telford and and them yeah, the uh, history of the NWO section was very, very thorough. Uh, <laughs> definitely, definitely a lot of stuff. Uh, especially because I don't have the old convention book for New World Order, mm -hmm. but I do have the Guide to Technocracy, which doesn't really tell you a whole lot about the specific conventions. It mm -hmm. just uh, it talks about the technocracy as a whole and like the Order of Reason and all that, and just kind of spritzles in little bits about maybe like one event that occurred with a with a specific convention. So that's definitely very appreciated. Well, you're quite welcome. I had a lot of fun doing that. So what would you say would be the, uh, the, the most challenging thing to write for the book? And I guess the most challenging thing then in writing this huge history up for the NWO, because um, there's a lot there and there's a lot of details, as you said. Yeah, what was the most difficult thing in doing that? I think most difficult thing since the history chapter is the most substantive uh, was not boring you all to tears and mm -hmm. thankfully our, our developer Ryan Macklin was, was on my side with making sure that that came out in a form that did not bore you guys to tears and was still interesting. Uh, most of the annotations of the professor reading her paper um, in the margins, that's all Ryan. Okay. Mm -hmm. I think the one thing that's important, which comes from obviously having this huge, uh, having the entire details history of the NWO then, is in your mind, how do you think the NWO has changed since we kind of last saw them maybe eight years ago or back with the guide to technocracy? Because a lot has happened and you know, we, um, we talked about some of this with uh, Dave Brookshaw. So um, how do you think the NWO has changed and really uh, kind of is, was that one of your another key kind of goals to show how how they've had to adapt to our, you know, social networks and um, and, you know, smartphones? Well, I think from the first writers team meeting, thank you, the Internet, for making these things happen long distance <laughs> now. You, you sweet, sweet, precious creature. Uh, we all knew that we definitely had to address all of the technology changes and culture and social media. And we wanted to do that in an intelligent ways. So everyone tried to tackle that to the best of their ability in their sections and help each other out. It's uh, I've worked on teams of, of creators before and the new world order team is 
definitely up there as, as one of my favorite groups to work with because, good Lord, they're on fire. It's awesome. Uh, as for how much they've changed and how, I don't remember who said it on the White Wolf Forum. And if they're listening and they tell me who they are, I will happily give you a shout out on Twitter. But someone said they got smartphones and got less sexist. And that, mm. was, that was their opinion of how they've changed in, in the past decade or so. And that's... It's a bit cheeky, but it's it's definitely not a bad sum up. They do get a lot less sexist. The New World Order, I think, does a better job of accepting technology now as part of their daily life as well as that of the masses than they did back then. Um, and I, I think that the gains that technology can get them, the New World Order is much better at leveraging them in the new book. I can see this discussion getting really highbrow really fast. Um, <laughs> yeah. <so. laughs> But but hasn't hasn't the goal of the New World Order kind of changed as well? I don't think we're going to really be seeing like this this sort of like Illuminati conspiracy trying to make like one world of government. Or maybe that's what they were trying to do, but it's really failing in many ways right now. Yeah, I guess what's your opinion on that? Like oh. ha- has their overall goal really adjusted in the last decade? I think they're still looking for the same things, just the the paths that they're taking there are different now. I think that after the the sort of cluster of unpleasantness that's a good thing to call it the recent unpleasantness uh, at the end of uh, the last century carrying over into the early 2000s that the new world order still wants mankind to be safe and they want technocrats to know that they're watching them <laughs> and that I think they're they're going into this current era of that they've won which i suppose if you say that any day above ground is is a win then then yeah the new world order has already won already there are more of them above ground than a number of the the people that the new world order doesn't want to talk to oh that's Mm -hmm. a really crappy way to put it yeah i think instead of the the whole global domination one world one government crap uh the new world order has seen to throw that out and that they're going to ensure the the safety and ascension of the humanity in a way that they see fit and that they're not going to be stopped this time. I would say that that definitely, yeah, that's kind of my kind of what I've taken from, from the book because with, you know, control and all those other groups kind of like out of contact and, you know, they're stuck in other dimensions elsewhere, cut from Earth, the NWO has kind of had to accept the diversity that's within their ranks which before would have been stamped out and now is very hard to stamp out but they all and so they all know what the one thing they want is humans to be nice and safe have nice technology and the things in the dark are dead and so they're almost kind of going fine we'll do it by all the means that we have at our disposal which is all fine and well and good to use but you don't have this kind of monolithic ivory tower approach to it anymore. Um, I think the other thing with the NWO, which which turns up with um, with how close they, to me they they kind of they've won the Ascension War to the extent that they've that humanity has grabbed all this technology and they're quite happy using it. But the thing they've lost is the things that have got got through the cracks and their kind of grab for power are the really, really bad things which can now actually take all their 
tools and turn them against them because I get the very thing like, you know, all this kind of extremism and technology being used in the wrong ways is not only the traditionalists doing that to them, but also like the Nefandi and other groups. Can we just say I said what he said because that was that was brilliant. Um, so what do you think is the most exciting thing in the book then either that you've written or that someone else has written oh gosh oh gosh I can I say all of it you you can have a think for a moment because like Mike if you look through the the gear or the technology part like the one thing I've noticed the book is now benefiting from is there's a whole load of nice new toys to use in the game. So it's nice new, like, what is it, enlightened smartphone and, you know, so forth. Yes. And yes, then sweet. Thanks, sh- David. <laughs> yeah, and then there's a shed load of procedures. And there's a lot of talk about correspondence versus data. And uh, I really like that because, obviously, I completely love the virtual adepts. And they're my thing from uh, from old mage. And... Um, I think the one thing that this convention book shows that it's gained from Mage the Awakening is they went, yeah, let's chuck in a whole load of procedures so you can have even more <laughs> examples of what you can do. Because that's one thing that was always bad with old Mage was knowing what you could do. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I remember when I was uh, first looking into Mage the Ascension, I did find a website that had a lot of like pre-made rotes on it, but they're all yeah. just like vague or... The rules seemed really silly, like turning someone to a uh, lawn chair, that kind of mm. stuff. So it's really good yeah. to see like well thought out official rulings for rights <laughs> and procedures. Well, I think one of the beauties of Mage, which can also make it really hard on players in particular, is that it's a very, very open system, and it's. And if you read through the Mage: The Ascension main book in particular, it encourages storytellers to to really take magic in weird, interesting new directions. And if that happens to not always gel with system, it's cool. And uh, for getting things out of that, like useful rote examples and things like that, I think that could be very frustrating for players. <laughs> Did you outline uh, uh, some of the other sections that other people wrote as well? Because there's quite a few authors on this project. and uh... Uh, Yeah. Can I remember everything everyone did? Because <laughs> we're on another book right now, so now I have to think one book back. I Also, words I didn't think I'd, I'd have to say in my life. Let's see here. Um, I, uh, David, um, Gears, um, yeah, all the, the gear stuff, David. So thank him mm-hmm. for enlightened smartphones, because um, mm-hmm. it may have come out of all of our brains, but David is the man who made sure that you know, it had stats. Um, Leonard Balsera did the opening and closing fiction. Our developer, Ryan Macklin, did uh, Relationship and the Other Supernaturals, uh, all the annotations in Sophia Pascal's um, paper from the, the outside reader standpoint. Ryan did a lot of, of work. I mean, aside from making sure that all of us had our um, had our act together, uh, he, he wrote a considerable amount on New World Order. Uh, let's see here. Jeremy Tidwell uh, did a fantastic job with talking about the methodologies, especially the feed, uh, which uh, I, of course, am sure that me being a journalist has nothing to do with how much I love that methodology. The nothing feed is awesome. The feed is oh. awesome. They are the dark mirror to, to the uh, the virtual adepts, and I love it. <laughs> yeah, Jerry did an amazing job with them. It was 
it was really kind of awe-inspiring to, to watch that happen. Um, yeah, hell, I, I only loosely take uh, the, the sections I just rattled off uh, as, as gospel. Well, really don't take them as gospel. <laughs> uh, you just mentioned that you're working on another book. Interesting. So um, I, do, I do have a question. I'm assuming this is one of the next convention books, correct? Yes. Excellent. Um, mm -hmm. Now, convention book New World Order is kind of introducing um, a bit of a plot to it, uh, at least with regard to the technocracy, uh, looking at uh, an upcoming civil war, uh, updating what's been happening with the, uh, the technocratic union since uh, all the events leading up to the Ascension source book, which is, is not technically canon. Do, do you guys really expect to have like a, a very specific overall plot? Um, similar, I don't know about overall plot, but similar to like the uh, Requiem clan books, or it's just going to be, you know, scattered ideas for the technocratic situation, kind of more similar to the Masquerade clan books from way back when. Hmm. I would say that those are all questions I would be very, very bad at answering since I'm not our line developer. Uh, but I'm sure that if you hunt Ryan Macklin up and offer him a, uh, a few minutes of your time or a drink, uh, that he would be very happy to answer them. All right. Fair enough, fair enough. So, to David Hill, as he uh, is there, uh, ready and waiting for questions. Um, Scott asked us in our mailbag that came in for the last show, and I think we had Dave Brookshaw talk about this as well, was um, what does it mean to run Major Ascension in 2012, and uh, what is the Ascension War now? Is it has it been won or has the essential ward simply changed? Well, um, I would say I um, I haven't run mage. I have um, I have run twenty or uh, technocracy in twenty twelve. I, I actually kind of consider them to be distinctly different games, um, and I think we have yeah. more more or less empirical evidence that the ascension war has been won. Um, so I think that that's. Um, that at least flavored the the game that I ran. Um, if I were playing a mage game, I might um, I, I might say you know we're still in the trenches. It looks bad, but no no no. Um, I, I was running technocracy. We have won. Um, there should be banners in the streets celebrating our victory. Um, why? Because we have Google Maps, basically. <laughs> um, so no, I I, I think that it's um. At least, at least from a technocracy perspective, it is a foregone conclusion that if we have not won, we are sure as hell going to. There's not a lot to stamp out at this point, so it's a it's a good time to be in the new world order. It's a it's a it's a oh, real refreshing yeah. experience. Um, it's a proud time. So it's interesting you say that because I I played um, I've run Mage before. I think when did I run it? Uh, Mage Ascension. Oh. Uh, it must have been like 1998, 1999 um, was when I picked it up because um, I got into it straight after Vampire Masquerade. And then, um, and so that was a classic Ascension War style game. And then through university, I played in a Mage Ascension game, which was again a classic kind of Ascension War style story uh, with traditionalist mages. And I was playing a virtual adept because they are my big thing. But then, um, during my PhD, so we're now talking like five years ago, um, 
I was playing in a technocracy game. And I'm like really thinking like, shit, a lot of technology has changed. It's like my NWO grey agent back then would have killed for a smartphone. And uh, mostly had one, really should have had one. And, you know, a lot has changed. And the idea that I'd say like, you know, the essential what has been essentially won, I think is a really quite, uh, is a powerful story. Because I think that could actually make for really good tradition mage based stories where you know, you're actually having to put up, you, you really that, that it's really, really changing the way they're having to fight. And I think that really resonates quite well with the things we unfortunately have in the world right now with like extremism and, you know, really, you know, the extreme reactions to the, the monoculture that we now have. Absolutely. On the, on the mage side, I would say that it's, um, there's interesting possibility because, um, if if you if you are running a game where you consider the war to have been won, um, the tradition mages they they have to face reality, which is literally the scariest thing that can happen to a mage. Like their entire stick is denying what is real in the world and sort of forcing it to conform to their paradigm. So if if they are forced to face reality and just acknowledge that, uh uh-uh, uh that ain't the way it is like that that must be that is the least feel good possibility in a world of darkness game short of say wraith <laughs> yeah hmm. yeah i don't know david i might have to i might have to disagree with you about this whole technocracy winning thing and i think lillian will back me up with this okay so when you when you look at it <laughs> and, and even even the convention book nwo kind of brings this up is the fact that the technocracy is giving this technology to humanity. It's empowering them. And and now you have this this population which is doing the opposite of what the NWO really wants. And I think that really applies to the other conventions as well. You know, the syndicate, obviously we've had this this economic meltdown overall, so that's uh it's definitely not looking good for them. So, uh iteration X, you know, I don't really foresee um having cyberpunk cyborgs in the near future. <laughs> um, with humanity, but that could change. That that is a possibility in some ways. With regard to the progenitors, uh, biotechnology uh, has been getting a lot of opposition by these sort of like naturalist kind of people. I know uh, there's a lot of opposition to putting uh, uh, genetically modified things into foods, and there's a lot of arguments about that right now. And then the void engineers, well, they're probably the most unfortunate because space travel, um, it's got a really uncertain future right now. Uh, the United States really isn't exploring it all that much, uh, and you know, maybe the commercial sector will be able to pick it up. Maybe not. We'll have to see. I um, totally disagree. <laughs> uh, and, and no, I, no, I, I disagree uh, on the on the um, basis that it's all um, bullshit propaganda. Because <laughs> no, like look at it, look at it. Um, yeah, sure, we had the economic collapse, but hasn't Wall Street been recording record profits in the last four years? Mm, yeah, yeah. Oh, he's right. <laughs> um, so, so the average person, yeah, they might think it's, it's it's a good way to keep the masses down, to keep them thinking, oh no, we're on this terrible economic downturn. That just means that we have to work harder and do this, this, and this. While Wall Street is literally reporting profits like they've never seen before, they have gotten to the point now where the government the of the United States will just give them five trillion dollars for the hell of it. 
like that that is that is victory if i've ever seen it for the syndicate and for for the other sides of things the progenitors the the um the idx and whatever yeah sure there's been some hippies pushing back on shit but california's proposition 37 which required mandatory labeling for genetic modified genetically modified organisms in food got shot down and it wasn't like a little shot Uh-oh. down it was like a 70 percent vote no. <laughs> um, so no, no, no. The technocracy wins. Um, it, it's just that the people think that they're that there's still a fight. That, and I imagine that if I were going to attribute it to something, I would say, oh, let's say that that's the tradition mages. They're good with propaganda, but we're the best with propaganda. And I think it's a great time to be the void engineers because we've been demoralized. We thought we'd lost space. And now we have a robot on Mars and it has an official Twitter feed. Fucking Mars yeah. robot. Mm-hmm. Fair enough. I fair think enough. the thing I would say is that the NWO, well, not the NWO, the technocracy has won. But I think the greatest challenge that a technocracy possibly has in this day and age is the the apathy that technology allows for because you can have just people just sit back and uh you know just you know just be herded to their doom so i think that's more of a challenge to the to the technocracy is if they're all this all this all these wonderful contraptions and devices and uh and biotech gets turned against them by nefarious you know corrupt groups i think that that's more that's more scary for for the uh, technocracy yeah, I, I, I give you that. I give you that. I'm not. I wouldn't say that it's such a pervasive thing, though. At least in 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 most of the developed world, where it's on top. Let's see what else have we got? Questions here. We did have some more on Google Plus. Let's see. Um, uh, his his thing is how you can introduce the cyberpunk and. Uh, omnipresent, unfeeling corporations into a new starter scheme. So, in other words, kind of taking what we have in the technocracy and pushing it into a new world darkness scheme. And that was something we covered in uh, a little bit with Dave Russell gave some ideas with that and uh, a bit of information with regard to that when he mentioned in the last show about Panopticon. And that's essentially what David has kind of got into uh, with his answer on Google Plus, but I'm sure he can expand upon that now. So I guess the question is, we have the new world order. The, we have the new world order book. We have the technocracy. They're all getting updates. You know, in future we've got more books coming. Um, but uh, how would you go about taking these elements and pushing them into a new world of darkness game? Yeah, no, I gave this, I gave this a bit of thought. Um, I mean, honestly, the support is mostly there. Um, it's at least on on my end because I, I did like the gear and all the um, the, the fiddling its chapters um, in in the New World Order. Okay, you, you you said New World of Darkness. Yeah, he said new. His his question on Google Plus was actually specifically about getting this getting the the you know the Omnicorp kind of feel and the uh, cyberpunk elements uh, into New World Order, because he makes mention of Panopticon, which of course yes. is in 
the Sizzler throne book. But of course, another group which I believe uh, that David Brookshaw talks about is, of course, there is Pantechnicon, which is a smaller, younger um, ministry of the. Uh, uh, well, they don't even even count as a ministry of uh, the uh, Sizzler throne. So um, I guess it's kind of your views on just how you could make use of the NWO book for New World of Darkness. Absolutely. I now just for um, just in general, the the New World of Darkness. I am not quite as intimately connected with Mage. Um, Old Mage is definitely kind of like where my area of expertise is, but that's not a, that's not a problem. Um, I think that if you want to give that feel, um, I think the place to really start would be with Hunter the Vigil, uh, particularly with um, like the Compacts and Conspiracies book with the Chiron group. Um, they are yeah. what I would consider to be the model of a corporation in the new world of darkness because there's there's definitely a different focus <laughs> and a different um, sort of gravity in the new world of darkness. And the, I, the, the Chiron group really embodies that very well. Um, they are they are less iconic in in the way that um, a lot of the the more old world of darkness feeling corporations uh, powers uh, conspiracies that sort of thing would be um but they are definitely relatable um and they even even though they are this huge monolith um they are definitely more they're definitely more personal they're definitely um something that you you can understand um, and that's that's really a big distance between um, what makes the new world of darkness awesome and what makes cyberpunk awesome, uh, because they're, they're they're sort of polar opposites. Uh, with the new world of darkness, you have this sort of relatability, you have this human factor. With cyberpunk, you have this distancing, this um, this sort of lack of hu- yeah dehumanization. Um, mm. But they're probably the closest thing you can get to it. I mean, they are they are curing cancer, but what are they doing to get there? Because hmm. um, it's really difficult. Cause, I mean, the the thing that's that uh, having read now the New World Order book, it's it reinforced how very different the technocracy is as an antagonist to mages than, say, the Seers of the Throne are as antagonists to Pentacle Mages. They're very different yeah. beasts, because the one is a case of, like, enlightened science versus magic, and, and ultimately what the technocracy wants is actually quite good. It's just, you know, the message gets lost in the in the firing of ray guns against people chucking fireballs at you, whereas the Seers of the Throne and the Exarchs are complete bastards and should be stopped, because they're, they're completely horrible. I mean, if the technocracy existed in in new world in new world darkness even the technocracy would be on the side of mages trying to take down the exarchs because the exarchs are just evil sons of bitches yeah there's definitely um there's no there's not a lot of room there for for that sort of relatability and i know that that was made that way i know that the mm. the, the uh they were they were really designed to be whole douchebags that you know there's there's not going to be a lot of arguments about um which I think, I think sort of undermines those ideas. Um, it, it sort of gives you, um, it it removes what I would feel is to be the, a human element from them as as a group. 
um, I, I never could find relatable. And that honestly, that's one of the main reasons why I don't really play a lot of it. Mm. I think I think well the X Hearts themselves obviously are quite unrelatable. I think the I think the fun with the Scissor Throne is actually how they get their messages from on high because the way I kind of view them is like uh, my way of kind of like presenting them is obviously the technocracy has their men in black and or people in black or black suits as they are now. Yay. Um Yay for as Lillian said, you know the the new world order has diversified and you know is is has accepted you know gender equality and uh, and um, all the new technology and um, to me the way I would kind of contrast it is that uh, uh, the men in black that the exarchs would use instead of having you know high tech type stuff they are men in black but they actually still have like tattooed sigils on their hands to do what they're doing because they use, they still use magic um it's just that they they use the 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 whole idea of like a black suit is still there as this embodiment of uh enforcement and control my thought would be that all you really have to do and it's it's sort of subtle is to shift that sort of philosophy a little bit um because i so you know you say that it's um the, the black suit represents like that that authority and control um and i think that with the with the new or, world order i would argue that the difference is is that the black suit is a thing of identification and mm. association um we don't when when we see when we see the the more modern version of that, um, we're expected to see something scary. We're expected to see something that is um, this sort of like mono power that is frightening. Whereas with the NWO, when the when sleepers see the uh, the NWO, whenever they see that black suit. They see something mysterious, but they they see something that is unified. They see um, they see something that is um, very organizational. Mm. So if you shift that from power to organization in the public perception, I think that's one of your biggest hurdles. David, we asked Lillian like what her favorite part of the convention book is, uh, and she said the entire thing. So um, we're wondering what your favorite part of it was, uh, whether it's something you wrote or something you uh, read while checking it out. Um, well, honestly, I, while, while I was um, while I was working on it, it was um, it, I, I loved being able to delve into the old uh, technocracy books and look at the technology that they were using. And by sort of extension, I was using um, in my old games. And realizing how when I was when, when I was a teenager and I was playing a, a mage game or a technocracy game, um, and I looked at all of this hyperscience, it was um, it was really fucking cool. Uh, and I was like, man, if only we could see this stuff. And by modern standards, almost all of that is just completely behind the times. Um, our our concept of high technology ten years ago was kind of laughable. Um, <laughs> or 15 years ago, uh, was it was it was really kind of terrible. Um, so being able to update that and being able to sort of ask myself, 
what are we going to be doing? What what can I write right now that if I looked at 10 years ago or so 10 years ago, 10 years from now, I would sort of laugh at myself. But right now it seems really fucking awesome. Uh, I, I got to do a lot of that. And that was um, that was really a blast being able to talk about like, you know, personal fabrication technology and um, just like microscopic computing um mm. that that stuff i mean it's it's all stuff that's very near and dear to my heart and i got to put it in the fucking game books so that yeah, was very super exciting it's kind of um so it's really tapping into kind of like uh diamond age with you know the as i say with like being able to make things up from an atomic scale and yeah i really dig all that type of technology <laughs> cool and uh, I think with that, let's move on over to the Secret Frequency before we move on to uh, further Q&A. It's under the stairs. <laughs> oh, see. Oh, so, Chris, you've uh, assembled uh, quite a few winter terror stories. Yes. Um, so this kind of follows on from the Christmas and winter and winter solstice and yule themed uh secret frequencies we did last year which um included i think there was a few english towns getting either buried or flooded and hearing the bells at christmas that kind of thing and so we're going to kind of continue that on for this holiday season so the first story i bring you uh is a is a story which is um where I grab these from, I'll try and get the links. Um, so they classify each of these stories. So the first one is classified under "It's a White Lady" uh, story. Um, so on the 21st or 22nd of uh, December, so the winter solstice, and it's reoccurring at the location of Lower Bosquizel uh, in uh, Cornwall, or otherwise known as Pendine Val or uh, Pending uh, Fogu my Welsh is crap if Steve was here I'm sure he'd do a lot better than me um, the story goes that this figure in white holds a red rose in her mouth and turns and walks into the into the uh, fogu um, some say uh, to see her will bring misfortune and anyone foolish enough to follow her well no one has done um, my immediate thought just reading that it's a classic true fae um, a beautiful figure, obviously leading mortals uh, into the fog or the hedge uh, to whatever um, hideous fate. Uh, and the, the fact that it occurs on the winter solstice reoccurring is the idea that maybe that location is a verge. Um, of course, being a white lady, uh, it could be the fact that it's a ghost, and the idea is that this ghost is um, potentially uh, repeating their final act. So where she's walking to could be off the edge of a cliff and is trying to lead other uh, mortals to a similar uh, doom. Um, anyone else got some ideas on that one? How you could make it uh, into something to be used in any of the games, both classic and New World of Darkness? I do indeed. Well, actually, in uh, Midnight Roads, there is a uh, kind of antagonist template for uh, a snow witch. Um, oh, okay. So this this really just gives you another option to kind of spice that up. I remember while reading that source book, I found it uh, not to be that interesting. The uh, Snow Witch really just kind of attracts some traveler off the road into the snow, and they freeze and die pretty much. 
which which really isn't too exciting. And this kind of gives you uh, sort of a setting or stage to, you know, just kind of spice it up, make it more interesting uh, for your game. Um, I was going to say the Red Rose is kind of interesting because that could actually act as a... I'm trying to think of the word for it. Um, is it uh, a memento in Geist? Is that right? That's yes, that's the, um, Yeah. Um, so that'd be kind of cool. So obviously I think it'd be an interesting uh, antagonist or just simply a ghost to to resolve uh, in Geist. Um, another thing I was going to say is like, some people say they uh, see misfortune. Uh, it would be very kind of um, thematic if before that misfortune, you know, that unfortunate event were to occur, that there was some kind of uh, ghostly sign that it was about to happen. So seeing red rose petals, um, that would be kind of cool. Uh, David and Lillian, do you have any ideas? I do. I do. Um, I'm going to stay grounded with this one. I'm staying grounded in the topic. Um, there's a laboratory there. Um, there, there. There's a lab out there, and the story is uh, purely fabricated to keep people away, um, mm-hmm. except for the rare few that do happen to stumble there. Um, so the idea would be that you don't have to worry so much about um, keeping people out. The few people that come in, you just have to you just have to fuck with them a little bit. You turn them into witnesses of something terrible. Um, you, you turn them into the kind of people that are going to help spread your, your story. Um, so if you are looking into something, um, if you are looking into this, this, this you know, progenitor nightmare escape, you, find, you stumble on an urban legend. Um, you kind of grumble at your storyteller and say, you know, no, we're, we're, we're talking about conspiracies here. Like, sorry, here's a story. This is what's fucking happening. Um, and they have the choice to pursue that or not. Um, but the fact of the matter is, is that's what's going on there. It, it doesn't seem like, it doesn't seem like science. It doesn't seem like conspiracy. But um, you know, dig a little deep, and that's what you got. Uh, it makes me think of Wraith the Oblivion. To be honest, uh, uh, particularly the Ladies of Fate. Uh, which I don't think anyone wants to encounter as a player character, but it happens. Really? What, what are the uh, Ladies of Fate and Wraith? The Ladies of Fate are scary. I I think they scare me more than anything in the game except for specters. Uh, they all look alike, uh, which in part helps prevent outsiders from taking advantage of any particular member because you can't tell them apart. Um... Mm. They're the Death Lords in charge of the Legion of Fate, and they're the servants of the Lady of Fate, um, who is probably in the top five of scariest figures in uh, Wraith the Oblivion, I think. Um, But there's rumors that the Lady of Fate has fallen into oblivion, and her handmaidens are impersonating her. Um, They can speak... They can speak one-on-one to people, and they can do that on behalf of the Legion. Uh, no one knows how many of them there are at any one time. When you're playing with Wraith the Oblivion, um, I mean, well, you can't really play with anything else since they haven't been updated, and I hope in my tiny Wraith playing heart that they will be. Um, they... They're just, they're so terrifying. They're like ghost ships in every urban legend ever in terms of how scary they can be to another wraith because they're so unknowable and you have no idea what the fuck they want. 
<laughs> Even when they tell you. Um, I wanted to ask Lily. I can't remember. I mean, we're, we're, we're you know they're they're paying attention right now, but I can't remember. Were are you on the email chain where um, I'm I'm pitching a new book? Yes. Okay. Okay. I I I, I couldn't remember if you were on it or not, but yeah. So I'm pitching a new book. Continue. <laughs> <laughs> you heard it here first. All right. Nice. <laughs> Good stuff. Uh, Chris, do you want to talk about the next? creepy story yeah i was just gonna say on the, the one we just said um the other thing i was just gonna say is with the wraith idea is uh the other place can lead to another new gate very simple idea but um yeah there we go okay so next one so again recurring on the 21st of december uh, uh it, this is classified as some sort of meeting so at a location known as bishop's castle in shropshire um i'm thinking i may have been there or at least i may have been there personally sometime so again, Steve might need to comment on this about what Bishop's Castle looks like. Um, there's a place called Steeper Stones, or, or uh, yeah, and the legend goes that apparently once a year all the ghosts in the UK meet at the stones for some reason. The way I took this from jokes, it's mostly there. AGM annual ghost meeting, but <laughs> yes. So the idea is that once a year all the ghosts in the United Kingdom meet. In Bishop's Castle, um, that's just completely crazy, and is obviously easy fodder for Wraith or Orpheus or uh, or for or any of the games from Mage and Geist. Um, but have we got any other specific ideas of why they could be meeting? Well, I'm actually looking at a picture of the rocks right now. It's it's got oh, a right, bunch okay. of sheer faces on it. It almost looks like it used to be could have been like a foundation at one point maybe perhaps there was a building on top of it at one time a tower maybe hmm and wow the rest of the area is actually really flat so it's kind of like this uh nexus point for the landscape hmm so again it kind of taps into the idea that it's uh, a particular avernian gate that opens up or it could be uh some sort of node or the idea you could also work upon is the idea of ley lines that uh, lead there, and, and it could be something feeding on ghostly energies. Um, the other thing I was going to say that also makes sense is that um, something that's in shadows over the of the uh, UK is the uh, graveyard spirits. So the, the collection of ghosts meeting them, they may not be actually ghosts, they could be these graveyard spirits that meet <coughs> once a year. Uh, um, because um, it's a way for new graveyard spirits to get to know each other, because they do actually have to renew themselves by, by consuming another ghost on an annual level of, a, of one of the dead who gets buried in their graveyard on an annual basis. Yeah, that's just my idea there. Uh, um, anyone else want to chime in with something? Well, since it's this nexus of the landscape, and it's the highest point in the area, it uh, must be hit by lightning very often. So it might be a great place for at least one Promethean to hang out when it's created. And it could be that just mm. this one time a year, this is when the throng, or maybe a former throng, all gets together at this one point to share their stories of uh, the past year. Oh, that's kind of cool, yeah. I don't know. David, Lillian, you guys got anything? I am tapped. Um, uh, as far as Old World of Darkness goes, um, like Christopher was saying, uh, it would be great for Orpheus. And since there's so many cataclysmic events for Ghost in that game, um, 
it could be you could use it for players trying to look for why that throng is uh, has been cut down considerably from the last year to this year. Um, poor, poor ghost in that game. Oh god, they get so abused. Uh, and as for New World of Darkness, it reminds me a lot of sort of the, the tone of like general mortal games or uh, mortal games with some people with Second Sight, because uh, it sounds so much like the stuff I've read in Ghost Stories and Second Sight, and a little bit of Precinct 13. Ooh, yeah. So I'm going to add some extra stuff so I've just gone onto the wiki page of Steve Stones um, that it has a long history of Admiral, uh, notably during the Roman occupation of Britain. Uh, uh, also, um, it said that there are many myths of folklore around the area, and that one of the uh, the rocky outcrops is known as the Devil's Chair. And there's also apparently one ghost known as Wild er- uh, Wild Edric, who sounds like a kind of a, a blackadder character. Anyway, he's a Saxon's uh, Saxon earl who held the lands, and they were confiscated from him after. 1066, uh, and they unsuccessfully defied the Normans, and for a time at least, he rode these hills whenever England was uh, threatened by invasion. Um, also, apparently, appears in the literary works of Mary Webb, who uh, drew it as the the Deerfold, or the well, which is the Welsh for the Devil's Mountain, uh, which appears in, also in her novel The Golden Arrow. Um, so yeah, the Devil's Chair has um, some precedence for being used for some supernatural spookiness uh, in stories. So shall I do the last one then, Mike? Go ahead. So, recurring on the 24th of December, uh, this spectre is classified as a black lady. Uh, this occurs in Bradley, Lincolnshire, in the Bradley Woods. So some uh, have said that she is a phantom nun, and by others she, uh, that she is instead a, wood, a woodsman's wife. And the local legend says that this woman dressed in black will appear on Christmas Eve uh, if one calls out, Black lady, black lady, I've stolen your baby. Yeah, someone else came first on that one while I have a think. <laughs> it's very changeling to have a saying like that. So again, it's kind of you know, Bloody Mary in that style. So, again, it kind of fits. Stealing children as well. Yeah. Uh, Sounds a lot like a fetter issue for Wraith the Oblivion. Hmm. What? What kind of a fetter issue? Well, if the baby's body is a fetter, or maybe a baby-associated item. Oh, yeah, so in the woods could be actually the body of the baby. Again, that kind of gets into the idea that this could be a ghost that you could resolve or yeah yeah okay cool um the other thing you can actually go with is um if she was a woodsman's wife again the fetter could actually be the remains of the axe that could be yeah maybe related to it here no here's an idea thinking about the uh the idea of the the baby or the, the body being the fetter what if what if the wraith or or ghost in your world of darkness um, it's more attached to like some sort of concept almost, where um, just the fact that there is a there's a like child's body in the woods somewhere, um, just it, it being there is is what keeps it stationed on Earth or keeps it unalive, if you will. Yeah, you're you're, you're right. Yeah, because yeah, when 
Exactly, I was like thinking that the, the black lady, I mean, again, the same with the previous one, with that white lady one, with the red voice, they're perfect ideas for, um, for a guy, for, for your character, and so they encapsulate a certain con- uh, concept of death. Good stuff, good stuff. All right, uh, any more comments on uh, this uh, secret frequency? Um, I, I've got a, a, a minor one on that. I see. I have no idea where, where what direction my brain is going here, but uh, that would probably be because of the vodka. Um, <laughs> the I'm, I'm thinking requiem. I'm thinking I'm thinking a bloodline. Um, I'm thinking, yeah, like I'm thinking a bloodline that has um, a couple of unique devotions, maybe uh, where they are um, they're very tied to an area, a region, um, and certain words trip them, um, like trip their senses, catch their attention, and can draw them. Uh, and so they they rely on this urban legend as a source of easy thinking. Um, if if they're drawn to a person, the person is ex- you know they are either expecting it or not. You know they're skeptical or they're believing in this. But either way, whenever something shows up. They don't really know how to respond, um, and so this this bloodline doesn't have the traditional um, the traditional effects of the kiss. Their weaknesses is that they, they you know t- cause terrible fear, terrible pain, anguish um, in their victims. So usually feeding is very difficult for them, but if they if they wrap it up in this strange urban legend, um, it makes sense. It gives context to the manner of their feeding. Mm-hmm. That's kind of cool. Yeah, that makes that's really a different way to to approach with uh, feeding kind of limitations. Hmm. Cool. I think that kind of sums up the uh, wraps up the um the secret frequency then, Mike. I think it does. And with that, let's move on over to the continued Q and A. World of Darkness 2.0. All right, so uh, we've already pretty much discussed the uh, convention book, NWO, and we've got uh, two very fine Onyx Path writers with us. So we wanted to kind of pass along some questions from uh, some of the listeners and ask our own questions about uh, uh, your your work and uh, gaming in general. So one, one issue that's been coming up quite a bit on uh, the internet with regard to gaming, uh, and I know uh, Lillian's talked about this, and I know David has some strong opinions as well. Is uh, is it really just about uh, women in gaming? Some of the barriers and challenges that they uh, run into. So uh, I guess we'll start with uh, start with Lillian. So uh, you know, getting into being a writer, um, what are some of the uh, challenges you've had to overcome? Well, I I started out in fiction, and then I just sort of drifted in journalism, and then I by accident fell into role playing games. Uh, but I'd say the thing that's continuous across all of those is that if I'm upfront about being in a relationship with another writer, reporter, um, or if anyone thinks I have kids, or if anyone finds out that I'm, you know, uh, fairly young uh, for some of the work that I've done, people sort of have mentally um, done the whole mommy track where they expect me to want to leave ASAP to have children because their conception of motherhood is that it will end my career. Mm-hmm. Um, which I I think that women uh, like Philomena uh, prove that motherhood does not end your career and that that's, that's a pretty bullshit kind of notion. Um, 
because your wife is amazing, David. <laughs> She's pretty critical for why this is even a topic. I mean, yes. if it wasn't for Philomena's um, Twitter post of one reason why we, mm-hmm. you know, which has exploded, which literally did kind of explode across the internet in the space of a week and appeared on, uh, I can't remember what, um, I think it appeared in quite a few different uh, papers as well, or at least yes. uh, on their web um, their web editions as well. So, yeah, it's it's a really big thing. And, like, obviously, uh, my wife has very strong opinions on, on how this also affects, like, gaming. We brought that up on, um, uh, which Darkling was it? Darkling number? Can't remember the number. But we did about, you know, getting a gaming group together, and we covered, again, same sort of issues of barriers to gaming. Um, but yeah, carry on, Lillian. Um, that was just a side thing. <laughs> so you said it, it's it, um, obviously it's the uh, perceptions towards you and how being a woman affects you, your job and really how it's not actually an issue and you can do what you want to do. Yeah. Um, so yeah, there's the assumption that motherhood would end my career if I decide to pursue having kids in the future. Um, when I first started working with anything associated with gaming, I was a personal assistant for a writer, and she told me that it would be really smart to keep any relationships with other designers uh, very, very quiet because I would be remembered not for what I was doing, uh, but by who I was sleeping with. Mm. Uh, and mm. I got that advice from other people as well, which was really shocking for me. And I, I did admittedly follow their advice for a while. Let's see, aside from that, I get a lot of sexual harassment online, and I don't usually talk about it because I generally try to ignore it, like street harassment. And there are days where there's too much of it, and I can't ignore it. And then I unplug Twitter and walk away from my desk for a few hours and wish humanity was better. Whoa. Yeah, that's kind of... I mean, that that's, that. I mean, you hear that a lot because um, I'm trying to... Uh, again, I'm kind of a loss for the for the names, but there was also the uh, um, I believe either game designer or, or journalist, and she wrote about obviously all of the the typical sexist tropes that appear in games in computer games. And again, I need a second return for just you know stating yeah for stating the obvious. You know, she just gets back a whole load more abuse, and it's just completely <laughs> completely it's just mind blowingly crazy how that happens but it's there unfortunately and um it's the question is tackling it and i think that's one of the shocking things was i read like you know, you read on some of these uh news articles on whatever websites and again how how some people seem shocked that this still goes on and it's like well how did you miss it in the first place because it's quite it's still in some in my view it's, it's quite apparent that this still goes on I think that a lot of people who miss it, either they they know people that just don't want to talk about it. I, I know that until very recently, I did not disclose how much I'm sexually harassed, either at industry shows or in online spaces. Um, it I think that at first it takes a, a very deliberate amount of effort to see, see it. And then once you see it, you can't unsee it. Um, it's probably mm. the worst thing that you can't unsee on the Internet is sexism. <laughs> And of, yeah, and, and then of course you've got the um, the, the groups that are obviously just state that oh, it's, that's always how it's been, and it's like well, should it have ever been that in the first place? And it's um, yeah. Yeah. Oh. Um, 
So, I mean, David, I mean, obviously we need to get Philomena back on the show uh, fairly <laughs> soon uh, to cover her own work. But um, I, I guess I, I've not kind of, I've kind of um, lost track of where, where kind of the, the one reason kind of uh, why, you know, I, I don't know how to describe it, movement or it's uh it's it's grown into its own thing and um where has it what has it grown into and what things has it spawned now and uh what things have has it kind of initiated um well uh, there, there's a there's a few things um the one that i'm most involved in is that um a couple of people i can't remember who started it but jessica hammer was a big part of it um is it, um, the, the, the one reason mentors hashtag, um, mm. we're, a, a lot of people have been putting themselves forward to, um, try to help make that happen because one of the biggest barriers of entry is sort of experience. Um, if you are a woman looking for a job in games, um, you're going to look at the requirements and those are prohibitive. Um, if says you know i've shipped this many games um the fact of the matter is there is sexism in hiring there is sexism in in the, the recruitment process so very few women have these jobs so if re experience is required very few women are going to be experienced mm -hmm. enough to, to fill those requirements so it's like this sort of self-perpetuating cycle um and a lot of us are putting ourselves forward to you know help in any way possible I know um, I'm doing um, right now. I'm doing a pitch for um, for a reboot of the Vampire Dark Ages line, um, and I put out an all call. And I, I basically I said, okay, so I have all the dudes I need, uh, which is you know I, I can right off the top of my head I can think of like 30 guys that I would love to work with, um, and I could think of a whole bunch of women too. I'm sort of an exception in the industry in that regard. Um, and, but I put out an all call and I said, okay, so women, I don't care if you think that you're not experienced enough, send me samples. Um, and I got like 70 of them. So there's a lot of people that are out there and that are interested. Um, and I'm going to try to work with that, try to get those people, even because clearly I can't hire 70 people on this jo job. Um, <laughs> but like, I want to help them find things and help them make the right connections. Um, Philomena is doing a website. Um, it's actually one reason why.net um, where she is going to be trying to put together resources for people who are looking to get into, um, get into gaming um, and get past those barriers professionally. I know she has talked to a lot of women in the industry about doing like basically resource videos that, um, that are sort of like, area of expertise monographs where they'll talk about one one hurdle that they have and one thing that they do well how they overcome it um and that way it sort of it shows women that yes there are hurdles but th this is how we've overcome them gives that sort of air of authority to it and she's got some pretty cool names on there so far um i, I let's see you know, it's, I mean, it's, it's huge. Like we had people from Forbes, you know, calling us up. That was, mm -hmm. that was really, really strange. Um, and you know, there was, it was Forbes, uh, New York times, time magazine, um, fucking mother Jones, uh, and all kinds of video game crap like Kotaku. Um, yeah. 
Yeah, so it's I mean it's it's really big and I think that I think that it's great because it sort of piggybacked off of the Anita Sarkeesian thing. She's she was a big part of this this the, the hashtag thing and she's kind of a, an associate of Philomena's at this point. Um and it's like, you know, Anita got hounded. Like she got threats all over the place. You know, people posting her private information and stuff. And the the backlash to that was, you know, people are not going to fucking take this anymore. It's it's nonsense. It, you know, it was getting worse. And now it's going to have to get better because we, we're just not going to accept that bullshit. And so this thing comes up with a hashtag and just thousands. Like there, are, there are literally hundreds of thousands of posts on that hashtag at this point. So... Mm-hmm. I we're we're seeing change and it's fucking awesome and I I hope that all those goddamn entitled man babies shut the fuck up and realize that their their little playground is no longer their playground. Wow. I kind of want to make that my ringtone. <laughs> wow. Yeah. <laughs> Whatever I was I just said about uh, man babies. Yes. <laughs> awesome. You you are welcome to do so. No attri- attribution needed. <laughs> it's it's you, David. You are your own attribution. Yeah, right? That, that sentence is basically me in a nutshell, I think. <laughs> <laughs> um, and One Reason Why is starting to go offline, too. I know that in Seattle, there's going to be a One Reason Why meetup with speakers, and it's a public event in January. Oh, that's fucking awesome. You need to send Philomena an email about that. Yes. I I got an invite from a... Uh, oh, shit. What has she done? I feel like a terrible person because I know she's done like as if if you made the list of games she's done as long as my arm, you know, it would it would fill that and then go past. No, um, it's a, a local. Um, oh, I oh. will I will write a post-it note and email you and Philomena uh, what yes, I know. Seriously, that's, that's awesome. I can't wait to hear about it. Cool. So we'll move on to some more general gaming themes because we have some other questions here and some other things. Um, I was going to ask David more about um, a particular book, uh, Blood Sorcery, because we had David uh, Dave Brookshire on and we spoke about his part, which was, of course, the, um, the revision of the Blood Sorcery rules, which obviously seemed to annoy quite a few people who really loved their mages Far too much, but of course, um, <laughs> David, you you worked on um, the Renades, and yes, I did. Um, and they're yeah, they're quite a different beast. Um, I admit I've yet to use them in my own vampire game, but I am looking to find the right moment to make use of them. Um, where did, where did this kind of idea for this these vampire powers and uh, I guess ceremonies? Where did they really where did it really come from? You know, what kind of birthed this rather gory way of doing some uh, doing some supernatural powers? Well, the what it really came down to is um, I I've been looking at vampire and I um, both old and new and looking at all of the magic that vampires do. Um, and you've got your Theban sorcery, you've got your Kruak, um, you know, you've got your thaumaturgy, that sort of thing. Uh, and all of these things, um, it feels to me as if when these things were designed, they were, um, they were sort of ignoring the actual vampiric aspect of it. Like, yeah, sure, they use blood or whatever, but um, it seems like it's it's all supposed to feel like 
you know, what are the sort of Victorian concept of, of high magic is or whatever. And, you know, that's, that's all well and good, but I wanted to sort of ask myself, what if magic just came from the beast? Um, what mm. if, what if the devil that, you know, your, your classic wizard summons, what if that devil was the beast? How would that play out? And, from there it sort of evolved um russell uh gave our rose sorry uh, rose bailey gave me um the name um uh, that uh, that she wanted me to use threnities um and i, I know that the, the idea came from the fact that you know it's it's another word for basically a dirge or requiem that sort of thing mm. um but i i looked at it uh, and i thought about it a little and i thought okay so the word basically means song to the dead or uh, song song for the dead. Um, and I wanted to tie that in. So I, I determined that the beast really needs to hear something. The beast needs to be talked to. Um, the beast is oftentimes ignored, sort of browbeaten, put into its place. Um, or sometimes it, it lashes out. So it's sort of like this caged animal. But if you want to sue the caged animal and you want to get, get what you want out of the caged animal, you, you have to sing to it. So there's literally a song. Um, there's there's literally a sound, a whisper, a thing that you have to do in order to to draw the beast out and bring it up to the surface. And once it's to the surface, you can talk to it. Uh, it is it is the proverbial um, you know John D style devil. It mm. just happens to be it's not in a pentacle. It's in your body. Yeah. Um, and it wants terrible things it wants you to destroy yourself for it it's so angry it's so hateful um all it wants is to see you hurt and if you are willing to give it that it, it will give you whatever you want hmm. that's some i mean there's some really great little uh piles i mean just flicking through again and the one that immediately uh stands out for me is the uh, first level obfuscate uh, threnody which is uh, deny everything because I think it's great it's a perfect way to go in I didn't kill him and essentially the whole idea that a vampire legitimately is able to forget something and pass you know whatever uh, all specs questioning and then later go oh no I did kill him and get on with what he was doing is, uh, is brilliant it's um it's just, I think it's a hilarious power and makes really good um good ways of plausible deniability. Um and just yeah, I mean some of the powers are just like with the, the ritual sacrifices and so forth. It really gets across a very dirty level of uh, style of magic compared to um you know compared to Thaven sorcery or even to uh to Kruak. I mean Kruak even compared to this is is relatively clean. Um but it's a, it's a great addition to the game. Yeah, I've got a question for Lillian. Um, okay. Lillian, so you've, you've obviously worked on Mage now. Um, what other World of Darkness games would you be interested in uh, writing for? I would seriously consider sacrificing other human beings to be on Wraith. If, if Wraith got an update, I would, I would probably do terrible, terrible things things that are better fitted to a fiasco game uh to to be on a wraith update hmm. now uh chris and i discussed um a couple episodes back I, I said something to the extent of does wraith really need a 20th anniversary edition <sighs> what's your opinion would, on that 
oh god it would be so cool if it did i i think something i'd be really interested to see is that with us updating older books we have to figure out the relationship to the the catastrophic end games on the old lines i mean obviously with the mage update uh the world didn't end when the old book said it did mm-hmm. um and wraith I I didn't want to scream when I read the ending for the Wraith line, but I was I just I felt like there was so much more stuff that could have been done before they got to the end. Of course, I'm sure everyone felt that about their their favorite lines with Old World yeah. of Darkness. Um, yeah, I I think that so many people missed out on Wraith the first time around that it was published, either because they thought that it was really depressing or they had people storytelling for them that really had no idea what that game was about. And that sounds so pretentious coming out of my mouth. Oh, God. I I did an interview with uh, Richard Dansky, who was the line developer for Wraith earlier this year, and it's... Uh, I think that, that is something that everyone should read if they missed out on playing Wraith or was like, oh, that looks really like a bunch of dead people in something that's not the afterlife. That's not the game for me. They should they should read what Rich said about Wraith. It's mm-hmm. an amazing game, and I would probably spend hours talking about it if someone was dumb enough to let me. <laughs> well, maybe sometime in the future. Uh, Wraith mm-hmm. is definitely a very... I, I think the thing that really impressed me about was just the world. It's just so foreign and different. I mean, yeah. I mean, it's it, it puts D and D campaign settings to shame. To be honest, <laughs> it's it's just so so ridiculous and crazy, and yeah. just the, the, the fact that uh, it's really it takes all these different uh, all these negative things that happen to humanity over the ages and just sticks them all together, and <laughs> that's what the Shadowlands really is. That's what the uh, the studio and the hierarchy really are. It's terrible. Yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah, and and beautiful and terrible. Um, uh, I think... Actually, I think the first book that I read for Wraith was uh, the Showa book um, for World War II. Uh, yeah, yeah. I had... I'd like gone to like visit my brother in college or something and the book was like lying out among like other people's dice bags and it's like oh what's this and one of his friends was like oh well it's it's about world war ii and i grew up with a dad who's an armchair history buff so there are far more facts about world war ii than i should probably be comfortable with crammed in my head i'm like oh okay and then i pick it up and opened it up and if you've never opened that book up before the very first piece of art is all black and white it is very very stark and it is this sea of wraiths from world war ii just sort of like trailing off into the darkness and the only two words at the bottom of that page say never again Mm, um it's and it's it retains that kind of intensity from those first couple of pages all the way to the very end of the book. It's, it's awesome. I think I blogged about it on my blog about how that was my first introduction to games being way more than just games and an incredible storytelling tool for understanding history and people. Um, yeah, that book is a hard read. I mean, I still own it, but good God, it is a hard read. Yeah, I've not been brave enough to check that one out yet. I'm still it's... reading Wraith First Edition, so, uh, you know. 
Wraith is great, especially when you journey across all of the additions. I love watching the evolution and the changeover in some of the writing staff on all of the old World of Darkness books because they mm -hmm. just evolve. And then there's parts of Second Ed that I'm, I still sort of disavow about like Mage the Ascension. I'm like, you know, I just not, I'm just not comfortable with how wacky that was. I'm, I'm sorry. I, I don't know why it came out like that, but I'm just going to gloss over that. Like Highlander sequels. <laughs> Very good idea. Very good idea. Cool. Now, Lillian, you recently had a, a Kickstarter, actually, uh, for Village by the Sea. Could you tell us a little bit about that? All right. Um, it's a wild experiment on my part. I have a neurological condition called synesthesia. So sometimes uh, one sense will fire uh, simultaneously with others. And I'm a gustatory synesthetic. So most things fire with my sense of taste. Uh, so I can taste colors, uh, yellow being my least favorite, since it has the most offensive shades. And I I have to clean that out of my writing a lot for fiction and for journalism because I'm not, I know that a lot of it doesn't make sense to other people. Sometimes it looks like it has its own internal consistency and logic and Village by the Sea has a synesthetic narrator uh, in part because a couple of friends dared me to write a mystery novel with a synesthetic detective and, and a Kickstarter happened because of that. Um, if you aren't terribly interested in role-playing games, you can read it straight out as a very, very strange novel. Uh, and if you like role-playing games, there's a lot of descriptions of village locations and bits of plots and legends about the village that you could lift out for something. It's set in a coastal seaside town, uh, which of course, because it looks perfect, is totally evil. Um... And I didn't want to tie it to a system or overly stat it because I wanted people to be able to steal from it as much as possible. Uh, so the only things that it has that could really be considered like stat wise is that Ryan Macklin is going to go through after we've gone through all of the edits and add um, sort of fate-ish um, tags to a lot of the locations uh he has a example post from one of the really early drafts of one of the locations where he put in some of its attributes uh i think one of them was uh long ago abandoned in parentheses by people <laughs> mm. um mm. yeah uh, abandoned asylums don't go there just don't it's it's a bad idea especially in fiction <laughs> yeah definitely Good stuff. So the Kickstarter was successful, and um, when it's finally finished, uh, where can people expect to find it? Um, well, it'll come out in March for backers. Um, knock on wood that we hit no delays or issues with printers. Uh, the hardbacks are sort of an upper tier backer thing only. There will never be hardbacks available to the public. It'll be available digitally for people. Um, we haven't decided where that's going to be available digitally for people. We're going to let the, the backers have their stuff for a few months before it goes uh, general release. Um, but I'm sure it'll probably be on drive through RPG and other common websites where we go for, for our wonderful fixes. And if I remember correctly from the Kickstarter page, uh, Rich Dansky is working on this as well, correct? Yes, he's my editor. Awesome. Awesome. Good stuff. 
So Lillian, there's one question that we always ask of a uh, new guest on the show, and that is, if you could be a household appliance, which would it be and why? Immersion blender. Uh, <laughs> if, if it comes to, to making food, uh, it's it's definitely not a unitasker item in the kitchen. Uh, and if you're using it against someone else in a combat situation, man, that could do a lot of damage. <laughs> but only if it's plugged in. Uh, well, you know, there's. I'm sure that we'll get wireless immersion blenders at some point. If we haven't already. The, the, the technocracy works in, in wonderful, mysterious ways. Yes, I'm, get, I'm getting the image of uh, of Ash from the Evil Dead movies, uh, but with an immersion blender on his hand. Oh, <laughs> yeah. that, that could be good. Milkshakes uh, and shred zombies. Yeah. Yes. <laughs> All right. <laughs> All right, Lillian, well, we'd really like to thank you for being on the show, and uh, David Hill as well, who had to leave abruptly. Yes. I'd like to uh, wish both you and David luck with the uh, One Reason Why campaign. It seems like it's going to be very important and uh, very good for the gaming culture and industry as a whole. So uh, I hope everything uh, goes well with that. Thank you. Lillian, do you have a website that people can uh, check out and get back to you at? I do, and it's super simple to remember. It's LillianCohenMoore.com. Very good. And Chris, uh, where can people check out Darker Days Radio? Ooh, many places. As we said, we can be found on the Google Plus with our Google Plus community. So just put in Darker Days Radio and you will find us. Um, you can also find us on Facebook, but I wouldn't go there as much anymore. We still have the Posterous blog, but again, just subscribe to it because you'll get updates of when shows are out uh we can also be found at darker-days.org and that'll take you to our podbean and of course we have a twitter which is of course darker days radio and if you want to get in contact with us uh you can email us at darkerdaysradio at gmail.com All right. Uh, Again, Lillian, thank you very much. Uh, Thank you to David as well. And uh, I think that's it for the episode. So, everyone, it's been wonderful. Thank you. Good night. How to put this? I'm so much better if I have time at a at a computer keyboard. <laughs> it's all right. We can do fancy editing. Don't worry. Ooh. So nice. take your time. And I, again, technology is on my side. Yes. Um. <laughs> um. And uh, Chris just said that uh, David Hill is online. So shall we uh, get him in here? Fantastic. Yeah. And then just pretend that he's been here the entire time. Of course. <laughs> yeah. Do do I have to add him to the uh, call? I think you do. Crap. All right, I'll figure this out. Come on. See, a virtual addict would have done this immediately. Yeah, well, this is me not knowing how to use Skype at all. <laughs> yeah, hold on. Let me just see. Oh, my all add. Right, conversations add people. Yes. 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 David I could have said it as well. Huh. Add. Bam. Got him. Wait, did, did anyone talk to him and be like, hey, we're in the middle of the show right now? Yes, I did. I did ask him. Okay. Because I want to make sure that I'm not just randomly inviting him in. <laughs> He's going to be like... But that would be beautiful. It would be. 
him just being like, uh, hey, what's, what's going on, guys? What's, what's you can always here? do that for an April Fool's episode next year. Just randomly invite a guest. They don't know they've been invited. Yeah, I don't think that would go over well. Well, depending on who you call. Why isn't he connecting? Oh, oh, I think he's here. I guess I did hear a blip. Yeah, I'm here. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Bam! <laughs> oh, sorry about that, guys. Hey, no problem. Yeah, had a hard night. My oldest girl has a stomach flu, so it's a white Ooh. Russian for breakfast morning. Yeah. <laughs> fair enough, fair enough. Yeah, so we're uh, we're currently discussing the uh, NWO book with uh, Lillian, and uh, we're just going to pretend that you were here the entire time. Sounds good to me. Nice. Hey. So what the heck were we talking about? Um, it's like do I just stuff. threw Ryan Macklin under the bus and said you should take those last few questions to him. Right, right, yeah. Okay, uh, David, do you have like the? Uh, are you are you prepared? Um, I'm sorry, we don't really want to like <laughs> rush into this, but yeah. Uh... No, I'm 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 pretty well armed. Excellent. This is going to be the best Darker Days episode ever. <laughs> I <laughs> think we should keep all this in. <laughs> This is going to be so fun to edit. <laughs> <laughs> Just keep it all in. <laughs> and so he went quiet. Yeah, do we lose him? I'm not hearing him. No, oh, he's reconnecting. Yay. Best episode ever. Seriously, we need to be like way more on the ball and professional about this. It's just It's because you actually got David on here and it's my first time. So the the episode has to show off. Uh, yeah, definitely. I think in a moment we'll, uh, I think we'll, um, we'll, we'll uh, draw close to NWO discussion and do the secret frequency and then move on to just more general stuff because yeah, of course we, we have... Yeah, we have all the general questions like we've got like about Village by the Sea, David has like 50 billion games he's working on. But... <laughs> yeah. Yeah. best episode ever i'll try to <laughs> add him again um that's cool guys playing any world of darkness games oh i haven't in shit when did that game end i i was in a uh, ryan macklin's uh skype game aethertide for a couple of months i think we wrapped that in like july i think somewhere there that was insane. Good, but insane. Is that uh, is that Mage the Ascension? Yes. Um, by way of like drifting Cortex Plus and getting a little crazy. Mm, whoa, that's that's the Market Weiss system, right? Yeah. Nice, nice. That's cool. I'm playing a Skype one shot for January. Nice. Yeah. So we'll see what happens with that, and it's. Uh... I don't know how it's going to work out. I'm trying to do one shot with a vampire, which has never worked for me ever. Oh man, one shots with vampire can be amazing. I had a LARP that used to do them that was just beautiful. So, um, if we were talking about the technocracy failing, um, I would like to introduce yeah. the evidence of um, Time Warner Cable. <laughs> 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 uh, 
Yes, yes, the tradition mages. That was the that was the virtual adepts. Um, they they got a little pissy. So and and if if we wanted to counter argument and say that that was um, evidence of the t- traditions losing, um, I got the fuck right back on. That's um, <laughs> big fucking deal. I think they oh, no. just disconnected oh. again. No, oh, the little bubbles. Okay, oh. well, um, we can always uh, we'll just see if that. Uh, I'm trying to think which is the next. So if I'm right, the next uh, new uh, next new world order book, Tenocracy book in in the works is the progenitor book, isn't it? That's yes. what I know from. Yeah, cool. I'm actually really disturbed that David just brought up that that proposition failed in uh, in California about the uh, uh. Uh, genetically modified foods because I have a peanut allergy, so I really want them to say yeah. that there's peanuts potentially in here. Mm-hmm. Like, I don't have an issue with genetically modifying, that's cool and all. Just want to know that it's not going to kill you, exactly. <laughs> Best episode. Apparently, ever. <laughs> the virtual adepts really have it in for David today. Well, he's working on technocracy uh, books, yeah, he should be updating. Yeah. Virtual adapts or something. You should be getting your firewall start, you know, set up properly. You know, none of this hacker shit going on. Uh. Maybe David's computer is a Gibson. I hear hacking the Gibson is really easy. <laughs> yeah, he needs to get one of these like uh, non-Fourier transform-based biocomputers running. Um, yeah, that's why I really dig. Um, yeah, Lillian, that's why I really dig like anything New World Order like and technocracy type stuff and virtual adepts is because I'm actually a computational chemist, so it's kind oh, of my awesome. bread and butter is is computers and and simulating things and programming. Um Yeah, which explains a lot. Um <laughs> what other questions have we got did we have on here? Um if we see if David does come back on, I guess the other thing we would be going into is the other projects that you are working on that are non-World of Darkness, non-Onyx Path, then, Lillian. So that covers, uh, if I just bring up... Uh, uh, so this covers the, as you said, the RPG Girl Thursday and Geek dream girl website and the journalism you have done and uh, the fiction as well and any other gaming stuff that you've got kind of lined up that you can talk about Um, because obviously we try and squeeze everyone for every ounce of information like last time we were trying to ask Dave as much as we can about mummy um, and he said nothing. Nothing. <laughs> yeah. And then we got well, we have David Hill here, who's just like, yeah, send no pictures for Wraith, send no pictures yeah, for exactly. Dark Ages. <laughs> Trying to hire writers for my pitch for Dark Ages. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah. Okay. We're going to be without him and carry on then with questions and then finish up with them.